Well, I want to welcome you to Central this morning, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been raised from the dead. Thankful for the choir's testimony to that this morning. It's good to be reminded week after week that our Lord is one who has triumphed over our sin, over death, over the grave, and He shall return in triumph, and we shall triumph with Him. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning as we kick off a new sermon series on the book of Hebrews, following after celebrating Holy Week and Easter, and we remember that our Lord Jesus has triumphed over every enemy of His people. Hebrews is an interesting book for a lot of reasons. First, it's interesting because we don't know who wrote it. There are lots of scholars who've guessed. Some have guessed the Apostle Paul wrote it. Some think Luke wrote it. Some think that a first century church leader, Clement, wrote it. There are lots of guesses, but nobody really knows. But we do know to whom it was written. It was written to Christians who lived in a city and they were suffering deeply. They were being persecuted for their faith. Probably these Christians lived in Rome, and they were thinking about giving up. They were thinking about giving up their faith and returning to their old faith of Judaism. These were Christians who lived in a pagan society, many of them from a Greek background, but they were deeply steeped in their Old Testament tradition. They knew all about the priests, they knew all about the prophets, they knew all the Old Testament traditions, and they were thinking about going back to them because it was too hard to follow Jesus where they were. It was inconvenient, it was challenging, and they wondered if it was worth it to tell the truth. So this unknown pastor wrote down a sermon. That's right, Hebrews is a sermon. It's written down to be read by these Christians who were suffering in their house churches for them to encourage one another along this main theme that will form the backbone of the book of Hebrews. And the theme is this, Jesus is greater. That's the big idea that ties it all together. Jesus is greater. And that's the secret that this pastor wanted his people to hear, that Jesus is greater. That's that's the secret of making it home to be with Jesus, making it home to heaven, to focus our minds and our hearts on that truth. Jesus is better. Jesus is more satisfying. Jesus is greater than anyone or anything else that we can live our lives for. That's the way to make it through life. That's the way to make it home, especially when our life gets hard, when it's challenging. We fix our eyes and our hearts on Jesus because Jesus is greater. So this morning, as this pastor gets started, the message is dense, but it's pretty clear. God has something to say. God's spoken And he said it, he says it to you today through his son, Jesus, the greater word. So let's pray as we turn our hearts and our minds to his word. Lord, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts that we might behold Jesus here. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Jesus, our rock and our redeemer, we ask, O Lord, that we would see him and behold him and that we would trust him. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. 
long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the living and abiding word of God. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. 911, what's your emergency? You ever made a call like that? 911, what's your emergency? Unless you've made several of those calls, it can be hard to keep your cool when you make one of those calls, right? You may tend to talk fast. Maybe not finish your sentences. You might be breathing hard, breathing fast, and you may be difficult for the dispatcher to understand what you're actually trying to say. And you may be so disoriented, it may be difficult for you to understand what the dispatcher is saying to you. And honestly, if you're in trouble, there's really only one thing you want to hear. Helps on the way. It's the only thing that you really care about. I have an officer on the way. I have an ambulance in route right now. There's not really a lot of time, nor is there interest in small talk when you call 911. You don't want them to ask, so where'd you grow up? You don't really care. You're not interested in that most St. Louis of questions. So where'd you go to high school? You don't want the 911 operator asking you that question. You want to know even better, I have an ambulance in your driveway right now. Go to your door, someone's right there. The church that this pastor is writing to has called spiritual 911. They're in trouble. Some of them are giving up. They're giving in, they're struggling big time, and the pastor who's writing this sermon doesn't start it like other letters start in the New Testament. There's no greeting. He doesn't start with, as Paul does so often, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's none of that. Did you notice? He jumps right in. It's, it's May Day, right from the beginning. So if it's you and you're, you're staring a hard time in the face and you, you're thinking about throwing in the towel, you're about ready to give up and the spiritual 911 dispatcher has a word for you, what do you hope it is? Where do you hope that that dispatcher starts for you? I hope it's with Jesus. I hope when I've called the spiritual 911 line that there's the person who answers the phone has, I want you to get a clear picture of the one who can help you. The most important thing that you can hear is this clear picture of Jesus. Look at your Savior. You're in danger? Look here. Look at your Savior. Open your eyes. Open your heart. See the one who is actually able to help you. The real Jesus is right here. That's where this pastor starts. That's where he starts with you and me, too. Are you in danger? Look at Jesus. Are you in trouble? Open your eyes. Look at Jesus. Now, that's super clarifying in our modern world. Because in our world today, when people try to give answers about Jesus, sometimes the Jesus we hear about is 
a little foggy, we can say. Sometimes our world prefers a, a concierge Jesus, kind of arranging an experience of Jesus that's based on what we prefer. Like, I want to check the box of the compassion Jesus, kind Jesus, yes, but I don't want the Jesus who demands that I live the way that he created me to live. I'll deselect that part of Jesus. I want, I want this part, but not that part. In our world, it's really in fashion to reinvent Jesus and create an experience of him the way that I want him to be. But the pastor writing to the Hebrews, the pastor writing to Christians in St. Louis, is saying God has something to say. God has spoken. And he's fully and he's finally spoken in his son. In our need, when we call spiritual 911 for rescue, here's the thing, we may not realize how serious our emergency really is. We might think that our sin wound is more like a, like a paper cut. But God sees it as mortal. God sees that we are in deep danger. Maybe some of us this morning are thinking, well, my sin's not that big a deal. It's, don't, don't treat it that seriously. Maybe others of us are thinking about, I've, I've been a Christian, I've, I've participated in the Christian life, but it really doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal for me anymore. I'm, maybe I'm just gonna give up. I just don't, don't know that I wanna participate in it that much anymore. What God has to say to us this morning is, this is the most important thing in your life. This is what eternity is all about. That's why the pastor doesn't start with pleasantries. He doesn't start with, with greetings. He gets straight to the point. We have a spiritual 911 situation, and Jesus is the only answer. That's what he wants us to understand. But what about him? What specifically does this pastor want us to see about our spiritual 911 situation? Three quick points for us from these verses this morning. First, we need to see that we have a God who has spoken at verse one. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, these mostly Greek background people with a Jewish heritage, now struggling Christians, knew exactly what that meant. They were very familiar with the language of the prophets. They knew what, what Old Testament background meant. And we, to some degree, are familiar with the prophets as well. We know uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. We remember some of the smaller prophetic books like Amos and, and Jonah and Micah. We know Malachi. I remember being in seminary, sometimes we, we talked about the Italian prophet, Malachi, the, one, of the, one of the small ones. There were other prophets who didn't write books because prophets didn't have to write to be a prophet. The main job of a prophet was to communicate the will and the word of God. That was their main job. Now, we may think about prophet, and to us, prophet might mean someone who can tell the future. Now, that was part of their, part of their work, but that wasn't the main part of their work. Uh, one professor put it like this, the main job of a prophet was not to foretell, that is, to tell the future, but rather to forth-tell, 
to express the will and the word of God. That's what prophets do, did. They, they told people who God is and what he was like and what he wanted for us. They foretold God's will and his word, and they foretold the future as a validation. You see, if they were to tell people what God wanted and what he was like, how, how did anybody know to trust them? They were given the gift of being able to foretell the future so that people would know to trust them when they said, this is what God wants, this is what his word is. They told the future as a validation of their telling people what God wants for them. But the prophet's main job was to say, this is who God is, this is what he wants for you. And what Hebrews 1 says is that God did this at many times and in many ways. He kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet, generation after generation after generation. He sent prophets. Do you know why? Because we weren't very good at listening. He kept sending prophet after prophet because we weren't really good at listening. But here's the take-home message. God is really good at faithful pursuing he kept sending prophets. He kept sending them and sending them. He didn't give up on his people. His people rejected the prophets, ridiculed the prophets, abused the prophets, even killed the prophets. Isaiah was sawn in two. That's how he was killed. Other prophets were murdered because they communicated God's word. But God continued sending those who would communicate his word to his people. Because as Moses called a prophet, told God's people in Exodus 34, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He kept sending and pursuing his people because of his deep love for us. He kept coming after us and coming after us and coming after us because God is faithful and we are not. But that verse in Exodus continues, but he shall not leave the guilty unpunished. He's also just. He's faithful, but he's also just. And we can't save ourselves because we can't obey him perfectly. We can't, by our best efforts, honor the Lord by living for him perfectly. None of us can. We can't even, by our best ritualism, Trust in doing the right stuff enough right times and it, think that it's going to save us. It can't. We're only saved by what Jesus has done. God spoke in many times and in many ways to prepare God's people to be led to the one who would live perfectly for us. You see, that's the point. All the prophets and the priests and the kings and the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, the purity laws, all of it served as signposts to point to Jesus and his kingdom. All of it. He kept speaking to point all of us to a king who was coming, who would be our savior. Think about it like this. When kids are trying to figure out some kind of problem, and they're, let's say they're in a house with two stories, and they're on the first floor, and they're trying to figure it out, and they, they can't, and let's say one of them says, well, my dad says that we should try something like this, and they try it, and then another one says, well, my dad says we should try something like this, and that's, that's good. They put together, dads gave them this advice, and dad said this thing before, and they tried and tried and tried it. 
that's a good thing. But when one of them says, hey, dad, call up to the second floor, dad, can you come down here and help us? Can you show us what we should do? When dad comes down the stairs, that's even better, isn't it? When dad shows up in person, it's even better. Long ago, God spoke through prophets in many times, in many ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. In these last days, God came down the stairs. God came and showed up in person. Now, those Greek-speaking Jewish background people understood that the last days in the Old Testament meant the days of the Messiah. They knew exactly what this pastor meant. The days of the Messiah's ministry, those were the days when God would come down. God came down the stairs. He's fully come down and said it in his son, the full and final revelation of who God is. He showed up to save his people. God spoke in all those ways to lead us right here to today. When God showed up in the flesh to save us, he's spoken and he showed up for us. Now, this may seem abstract to a people calling spiritual 911 this morning. What difference does that make? That's, that's great theology, but what difference does it make to how I live my life? And how does that help me when I'm calling spiritual 911? I've got a quick application for you this morning, and it's not original to me. Someone shared this with me when I was going through a hard time, and I want you to see it this morning. There's any number of hard things happening in our world, right? It doesn't take much to look around and see all the terrible things that are happening in our world. You can just look at the person sitting next to you in the pew, and you're probably going to see hard things that are happening in their life. Maybe even just look at your own life and think there are terrible, hard things happening. And you might be wondering quite naturally, what's God saying to me? What's God saying to me right now? God, I, I, I know that you're, you're speaking, but what are, you, what are you saying to me in this, right, in, in my illness? What are you saying to me, God? I know that I've thought that a lot. We, I talked about it with you a few weeks ago in a sermon. In, in my unemployment, what are you saying to me, God? In my depression, in this broken relationship, in the, there's all kinds of possibilities. But here's what I want to say to you today if this verse is true God has spoken to us in his son then look to Jesus to get your answer what is God saying to me in this hard thing in my life when I might be thinking of giving up God has spoken to you in his son look to Jesus to get your answer to what God is saying to you right now. He's not saying anything to you inconsistent with the character of Jesus because he's God in the flesh acting and speaking and caring and comforting and forgiving and healing and being tender and being merciful and kind and drawing close to you in the middle of your hardship. If you wonder what God is saying to you right now in the middle of the hard thing you're going through, look at Jesus. The God who crawled down into this world, who stepped into your hard place in your life right now to be God with us, to be Emmanuel. The God who was willing to touch the untouchable. The God who was willing to speak to the ones that no one wanted to speak to.
the God who was willing to call into his fellowship the ones that no one wanted. The God who was willing to rescue people out of circumstances that seemed irredeemable. The God who's able to heal and be merciful and be tender. The God who's able to bring life out of death. If you wonder what God is saying to you in your circumstances right now, the God who spoke in his son, look at Jesus and see the answer to what God is saying in your circumstances. That's what the Bible says, but this verse says. What's God saying? Look at Jesus. Second, if you call spiritual 911 needing help, you know, right out of the gate, this verse says we have a God of power. We have a God of power. Now, we could spend the whole sermon series just on these four verses, honestly. If you study the, the early church fathers, like the really early church, not we in the Protestant world tend to think the early church is the Reformation time. That's not what I'm talking about. If you go back to the second century, the century, the fourth century, the, the early church, when the early church fathers were trying to make sense of Jesus' ministry and his teaching and coming up with the, the creeds, you'll find these verses cited over and over and over again. Hebrews 1, 2 and 1, 3 and 1, 4, over and over again. And what about them specifically? trying to make sense of the fact that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Both. That's hard to make sense of. It was hard for them and it's hard for us. The people to whom this pastor wrote this sermon, many of them lived within a, within a generation of Jesus's life and death. Think about that. Some of them may have overlapped with him. Probably this book was written before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Most scholars put it somewhere in the late 60s AD. So some of these people would have known someone who had seen Jesus alive as a man. Some of them may have seen him with their own eyes. They, they knew that he had been a man who walked Galilee. They may have even seen him what was harder for them to wrap their minds around is he was fully God. He was Yahweh in flesh. That's, that's hard to deal with, hard to understand. Maybe we can connect with that too because it's common in our world to hear people say, Jesus was an incredible teacher. He was a great, admirable, ethical person. He taught wonderful things, but I'm not so sure about him being God. You hear that all the time in our world today, but that's exactly what these verses teach. Jesus was fully man and fully God. How do we see that here at verse 2? God appointed him heir of all things. Now, okay, other regal figures in those days claimed things like that. Certainly the Caesars did. I'm the heir of all things. I own everything. Everything belongs to me. Caesar Augustus in Jesus' day, even claimed to be a son of God. Everything belongs to me. It's not an, that unusual a claim. But what comes next is different. Everything belongs to him, Jesus. Why? Through whom he also created the world. That's different. Everything belongs to Jesus because he's the one who made it all. That's a very different claim. 
It all belongs to Jesus. He's the heir of everything because he's the one who made it all. To be the one who's the agent of creation, who made everything, that's a claim to be God. He's God and man. He's heir and creator. Not only that, but verse 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Every moment of your life, with every molecule in your body, in every molecule of every creature's body, every molecule of every substance in the entire universe is held together by the word of this man they saw walking around in Galilee. That's quite a claim. He's God, fully God, and fully man. All of it held together, everything held together by his word of power. Listen, you just called spiritual 911, and the one who answers the line speaks, and the entire universe has to obey his voice. The one you just asked for help, when he speaks, the whole universe must obey what he says. The one you ask for healing, the one you say, Lord, I am sick, my body is failing, and I need help. When he speaks, the whole universe obeys him. That's amazing. That's, it's incredible. Why would we not call out to him? And let's not forget that one whom the whole universe obeys. Remember, he's the one who loves you, who has continued to send prophets over and over and over to stubborn people like us because he loves us. He's continued to pursue people like us because he loves us and he hears us when we call out to him and the whole universe obeys him. And he's the one who loves us tenderly and compassionately and kindly. We have a God of power who loves us. When we call spiritual 911, when we're in trouble, when we're struggling, the one who hears our cries is the one, when he speaks, the world obeys. He knows your name and he loves you. That's encouraging. Whatever's going on in your life right now, that God is on the other end of your prayer. Now these folks wondered, well, maybe this son is different. Maybe he's not like the God who sent the prophets. What if, what if the God of the Old Testament is mean and vengeful and this Jesus is compassionate and kind? Which one of them's really in charge? What if the father is one way and the son is a one way and they can't, they can't agree? Then we're really in trouble. That's an ancient heresy that the, the pastor speaks to right there in verse 3. They're distinct, but they're the same character. He says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, this is a little bit philosophical, but stick with me for a minute. Can you separate the light from its rays? Can you separate light from its rays? No, the light is its rays, and the rays or its radiance is the light. They're the same. Light is its rays. That's what this pastor is saying. Like we confessed last week on Easter, light of light, very God of very God. They're the same. Jesus is like the Father. They're, they're the same. Verse 3 again, he's the exact imprint of God's nature. 
The exact imprint is the Greek word character. It's the only time it's used in the whole New Testament. In the rest of Greek literature, it's a, it's the, a word that describes the dye that you use that, or cast that you put in the wax seal to make something that, that sticks. And when you put a, a dye into a blob of wax and you pull it out, what's left? It's the imprint. And when you pull it out, you, the exact imprint that from, from that metal die is left. It's exactly, all the curves, all the lines, exactly what was in the imprint is left in that wax. It's not kind of like what was there. It's exactly, exactly corresponds. That's what this writer says. God in heaven and Jesus are exactly alike, exact same nature. Jesus isn't kind of like the God in heaven. It's exactly the same. You want to know what the nature of God is? Look at Jesus. So you're in trouble. And a big problem above your pay grade. You're not sure what you can do. You're not sure who you can handle it. Who are you going to call out to? You're going to call out to this one who's taken on flesh. Who holds the world together with his word who you've seen, you've observed, you've heard, you've known is compassionate and dependable. Remember the woman at the well? Life was a mess. You've heard the story. You may have even seen it happen. You saw what he did with that woman. You heard how tender he was with her. That's the one you're going to call out to for help. You've heard all those stories about those parents whose children were sick and A couple of them have died. You're going to call out to the one who had the power to raise those children from the dead. You knew those stories about the lepers that no one had touched for years, but this this Jesus embraced a leper. You're going to call out to him for help. You knew the stories about Peter who denied Jesus and run away and denied him three times, and Jesus welcomed him back. He'll do that for you too. You, this Jesus who you may have even seen crucified, you saw him put the body in the tomb and then you observed him walking around alive again. He has the power over life and death. You're going to call out to him. You've heard the apostle Paul say, I am certain that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day when he returns. That's the one you call out to. Spiritual 911, I have a huge problem you're going to call out to a God that you know has power. Because he reigns and he rules over everything. And he is the one who is incredibly tender with people who are in trouble. And finally, quickly, we have a God who is a cleansing God. There's maybe one last spiritual 911 situation that maybe you're a little more reluctant to make the call. Maybe you've gotten yourself into a problem because you made a really bad decision like a super bad, sinful decision. And you don't want to, we don't want to cry out. You don't want to ask for help because you're just going to call more attention to the bad problem you made, the bad decision you made. You got yourself into this awful situation. And if you ask God for help, you're just calling attention to it and you'd rather not. If you're anything like me, sometimes I like to hope that Jesus just doesn't notice when I sin. Ever feel like that? I like to think sometimes that Jesus could be like the consummate British gentleman. Like, no bother. Let's just brush it under the carpet and just not much as a mention. Just pretend like nothing ever happened and just go on with our day. 
But that's not Jesus and that's not the healing path. This Jesus, verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This Jewish audience knows all about making purification on the day of atonement. That's what sacrifice was for. The high priest would confess, lay his hands on the head of a lamb and confess the sins of the people. And it was as if the guilt of God's people was placed on the head of that lamb and then the lamb would be sacrificed as a substitute because sin calls for death. That's the the penalty for rebellion against God. And those people knew that the only way that they could become pure, that they could have their guilt removed is if the lamb died in their place. They also knew that the high priest had to keep on making sacrifices because the purification was temporary because they kept on sinning, just like you and I keep on sinning. But this is different. This says after making purification, Jesus did what? He sat down on the right hand of God. My dad taught me you don't sit down until the job's finished. You sit down when you're done. And Jesus sat down. Because as he said from the cross, as he breathed his last, it is finished. It is completed. There is no more need for sacrifice for purification because Jesus is the high priest who made purification as the Lamb of God had the sins of God's people laid upon his shoulders. And Jesus, who was the high priest, also was the Lamb of God who died in our place. Jesus is the priest and Jesus is the price. Jesus is the priest and Jesus is the lamb. He was slain for sinners like us. And then he sat down because our guilt, yours and mine, has been removed. There's nothing more to be done. Our guilt is done. It's removed because the sinless Savior died. We have been set free. But the accuser, the devil, wants you to think that the job is unfinished. So he's going to keep reminding you of all of your impurity. But friends, there is no impurity that can withstand the purifying blood of Jesus. None of it. So repent. Just turn away from those sins to Jesus who's ready to cleanse. Not just sweep your your sin under the carpet, but cleanse you and remove your sin forever. There is no mess that is too much for God to cleanse. There's no sin, there's no addiction, there's no trap that is so deep that Jesus is unable to pull you out. Whatever huge mess you might have made of your life, Jesus is greater. So you call spiritual 911 and you know that God has spoken in his son. He is pursued in love and by his grace, he is cleansed. He's spoken in his son of power who is able to control from the throne on which he now sits. He is able to control all things for your good. And from that throne he cleanses by his blood. And you shall be forever pure. And we wait for the day in which he returns and we shall see him face to face when he makes all things new. And while we wait, keep your phone at the ready, ready to dial 911, because Jesus is ready to answer.
Let's pray. Lord, we cry out to you this morning and we know that you, Jesus, are ready to answer with tenderness and compassion. You're ready to answer with power and you're ready to answer with the cleansing, purifying blood that makes the foulest clean. So Jesus, we come to you today and we know that you are greater. You are greater than all of our sin. You are greater than all of our need. You are greater than all of our weakness. And we bow our knees before you and we say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So Jesus, we exalt you this morning and we ask that you would lift the burdens from our shoulders and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.